Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. I'm sure you all have seen it in the news at this point, probably two weeks ago it ended. But they finally got rid of the Ever Given from the Suez Canal, freeing it up and preventing the various blockages to global trade that you may or may not have been experiencing over the past weeks. If for some reason you didn't receive your Lego set or some other miscellaneous toy or something in the recent weeks, it was probably the result of the Ever Given and everyone having to go to the Cape of Good Hope or being stuck at the Suez Canal. But... I know I'm late to that trend by about two weeks, so all of you have probably heard enough and seen enough memes about the Ever Given at this point to be a bit exhausted about contemporary Suez Canal ongoings. So I figured in light of this, you know, now would be a good time to maybe discuss the history of the Suez Canal, but more importantly, discuss the man behind the Suez Canal. Everyone knows the Suez Canal, but do you know the man behind it? Ferdinand de Lesseps. So let's jump right into the life of our canal maker here. Ferdinand de Lesseps was born on the, in no, on the 19th of November, 1805, in Versailles, Yvelines. To make it very clear, he was not born in the Palace of Versailles itself, but rather the town that the Palace of Versailles resided in. So do not get into the image of your head that he was a you know, relative of the king or some highly important noble. That is very much not the case. Um, instead, though, he did come from a very prominent background of French diplomats. His father was a diplomat under Napoleon. He was a diplomat under uh, King Louis-Philippe, and their great-grandfather was a diplomat under King Louis XVI. So he comes from this really deep line of French diplomats. And as a result, um, he has some really close ties into these diplomatic circles, which we'll come to see later down the line, really ends up helping him. So the first of you years of his life were spent in Italy, where his father was occupied as a diplomat with consular duties. He was educated at the College of Henry IV in Paris, where from the ages of 18 to 20, he was employed then in the commissary department of the army. From 1825 to 1827, he acted as assistant vice consul at Lisbon, where his uncle, Bartholomew de Lesseps, another prominent diplomat, was a French charge d'affaires in the city. In 1828, having gained this experience in Lisbon under his uncle, Lesseps Ferdinand, Lesseps that is, was then sent to become the assistant vice consul in Tunis, where his father was consul general. You'll kind of notice a trend here that a lot of these early appointments for Ferdinand Lesseps were in places where his family was. You know, uh, debatable whether or not that was nepotism, uh, probably was given the time period, but you kind of see that he's definitely making his way around the world and making his rounds through these family connections. And while he was in Tunis, he aided him as vice consul to the consul general. He aided the escape of Yusuf at the time, who was pursued by the soldiers of the bay, of whom he was one of the officers, for the violation of the Surgalia law, which was a major uh, affair going on in Tunis at the time. In repayment for the generosity shown by Ferdinand, Yusuf would go on to serve in the ranks of the French army during the conquest of Algeria, distinguishing himself as one of the foremost uh, soldiers and combatants during that time period. 
Lesseps was also in Ferdinand Lesseps was also entrusted by his father with missions to Marshal Count Bertrand Clausel, the general in chief of the Army of the Occupation of Algeria at the time. The Marshal wrote to his father on the eighteenth of December, eighteen thirty, noting that, quote, I have had the pleasure of meeting your son who gives promise of sustaining with great credit the name he bears, end quote. Now, while this doesn't, you know, convey too much exactly about what he did, it's very clear that Ferdinand was very good at what he did and that he, at the very least, presented himself, though, very well to other individuals. In 1832, Ferdinand was appointed vice consul in the city of Alexandria in Egypt. While en route to Alexandria, uh, Memminal, Consul General of France at Alexandria, sent him several books, among which was the memoir written upon the previously filled and abandoned ancient Suez Canal, according to Napoleon Bonaparte's instructions by the civil engineer Jacques-Marie Lepère, one of the scientific members of the expedition. This work really struck Ferdinand's imagination and was one of the main influences that would come to give him the idea of constructing a canal across the African Isthmus. The ancient Suez Canal, probably if you have never heard it before, was more so known as the Canal of Pharaohs. It was nowhere near as extensive as the Suez Canal is. It didn't really cut across the Isthmus, but it was a canal that went from the Red Sea towards Cairo and cut across a couple of rivers. So not to the extent, you know, that you imagine the canals today. But, you know, for the time period, it was a very significant canal. And this is what really gave Ferdinand the, I guess you could say, the root of the idea for creating what would come to be known as the Suez Canal. For, fortunately for Lesseps' future career, while he was in Egypt, Muhammad Ali became Viceroy of Egypt, and he owed this position in part actually to the recommendations made on behalf to the French government by his father, Mathieu de Lesseps, who was Consul General in Egypt when Ali was a colonel. Because of this, Ferdinand received a warm welcome from the Viceroy and became good friends with his son, Said Pasha. Politically at the time, the British were allied with the Ottoman capital in Istanbul to prevent the Russians from accessing the Mediterranean Sea from the Black Sea. They also had assisted the Ottomans in repelling Ali's attempt to invade the Ottoman capital in 1833. So while Ferdinand was in Egypt, the French government was playing politics, I guess you could say, with Britain and the Ottoman Empire over Egypt, which was, and ultimately the French were able to maneuver into Egypt a good amount of influence, you know, using their friendship with uh, Muhammad Ali by playing off the British aggression against Ali in Istanbul. So you really see this French influence beginning to pervade into Egypt during the time of Ferdinand de Lesseps, something that will, again, come to aid him in the future as he seeks to build this canal. In 1833, Lesseps was sent to be a consul at consul to Cairo, and soon afterwards he was given the management of the consulate general in Alexandria, a post that he would end up holding until 1837. While in Egypt, he encountered was influenced by Bartholomew Prosper and Fontin, who was working on a dam north of Cairo for Muhammad Ali, while preaching for a union of the Mediterranean and the Red Seas. Yet again, another individual who began to really foster this idea within Ferdinand's mind of a canal across the Sinai Peninsula. While he was there as well, an epidemic of plague broke out, lasting for more than two years, resulting in the deaths of more than a third of the inhabitants of Cairo and Alexandria. During this time, Lesseps went from one city to, the, to another, constantly going through, looking for ideas about a canal, and really beginning to investigate and expand upon these roots and seeds that had been planted earlier by the book about the Canal of the Pharaohs, and now Bartholomew Prosper and Fontaine. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos, the show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. 
For all of you just joining back, welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Today we're talking about Ferdinand de Lesseps, the father of the Suez Canal. We just got done talking about his early time as a consul, vice consul, and overall just diplomat to various nations within the African region. Now, we're going to jump into the rest of his diplomatic career. Towards the end of the close of the, in 1837, he returned to France, where he went on the 21st of December, marry Agatha Delam, daughter of the government prosecuting attorney at the court of Angers. In 1839, from there, Lesseps was appointed consul to, in Rotterdam, and in the following year would then be transferred to Malaga. In 1842, he was sent on to Barcelona, soon afterwards being promoted to the grade of consul general in the area. In the course of a bloody insurrection in Catalonia at the time, which ended in the bombardment of Barcelona by Spanish forces, the Lesseps offered protection to a number of men threatened by the fighting regardless of their factional sympathies or nationalities, from which he earned a promotion from 1848 to 1849 as the Minister of France at Madrid. In 1849, the government of the French Republic sent Lesseps to Rome to negotiate the return of Pope Pius IX to the Vatican. He tried to negotiate an agreement whereby Pope Pius could return peacefully to the Vatican, but also ensuring the continued independence of Rome. But during negotiations, elections in France caused a change in the foreign policy of the government. Alexis de Tocqueville ended up replacing the previous prime minister, and Lesseps' course of action was disapproved by the new government. He was recalled and brought before the Council of State, where Louis Napoleon, or better known as President Napoleon, or Napoleon III, Emperor of France as he'll later come to be known, needed a scapegoat for the old regime that he came in to replace. And Lesseps as it was an easy target at the time. He was accused of causing dishonor to the French army and the French diplomatic corps, and was censured, although he was not told to leave the foreign ministry just yet. Lesseps was created on the 30th of August, 1851, 334th commander, and then the 200th, 200th Grand Cross of the Order of the Tower and Sword member. Lesseps would then retire from the diplomatic service, never again occupying any public office. In 1853, his wife would die and his son Ferdinand Victor at a few days interval. In 1854, the ascension to the Viceroyalty of Egypt of Said Pasha gave Lesseps a new impulse, especially after the death of his wife and his son, to create and move on with the idea of a Suez Canal. Before Ferdinand got to Egypt, we know that he had corresponded at least once with the Society de Utes de Canal de Suez during the reign of Abbas I in Egypt about the ideas of a Suez Canal. Remember that Ferdinand was a diplomat. He's not an engineer and he's not exactly a businessman. So he was reaching out to these societies who had been planning the idea of a Suez Canal, who had been also thinking of the idea of a Suez Canal for technical advice and even to an extent to seek business partnerships in establishing the Suez Canal. However, Abbas I at the time in Egypt, when he was reaching out to this society, had closed off most of Egypt to foreign influence. Following the death of Muhammad Ali, who had really opened the West, I mean, sorry, opened Egypt to the West, and really started bringing in all these Western thinkers and sending out these Egyptian students, his son Abbas shut down on that completely, sent people back home, and really started to, you know, become more of an isolationist reactionary. And as a result of that, Ferdinand wasn't really able to get anywhere as attempts to build a Suez Canal, you know, backed by European financers, was seen by Abbas as being an extension of foreign influence, which he would not take. However, upon Abbas's assassination in 1854, Lesseps ended up seeing good fortune in the fact that Abbas's successor, Said Pasha, was someone who was very well acquainted with during his time as vice consul and consul in the cities of Alexandria and Cairo. On the 7th of November, 1854, he landed at Alexandria, 
and on the 30th of the same month, Said Pasha signed the concession authorizing him to build the Suez Canal. Now, a brief note on, you know, the concession to the Suez Canal and to why it exactly happened. Egypt at the time was going through, I guess you could call it, some economic struggles to say the very least. Emerging from the Ottoman Empire, and even despite the reforms of Muhammad Ali, someone who honestly I should probably cover in another episode in of itself, given his importance to Egyptian history, you know, eventually, under Abbas as well, drove the state into bankruptcy. So the concession of the Suez Canal was seen as a way to revitalize the economy and bring in some new cash flow, even if the canal ultimately would be, would be owned by Europeans, although I'm sure the Egyptians would have preferred that they owned it themselves. A first scheme for the Egyptian canal by Ferdinand was immediately drawn up by two French engineers he reached out to, who were at the time in service in Egypt, Louis-Marie Adolphe and Lynette de Belafonds. This project, for, proposed project for the Suez Canal, differing from others ever previously presented or were in opposition to it, provided for a direct link between the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. A lot of other canal projects sought to connect the, the Nile River to the Red Sea, upon which ships could, you know, go from the Red Sea, take the canal into the Nile River, and then go upwards out towards, like, the port of Alexandria. But this new proposed canal just bypassed that altogether, going through the Sinai Peninsula. After being tinkered with by them, with input from other engineers and business consultants to ensure the most effective canal for the best price, the plan was adopted in 1856 by civil engineers who were overtaking the pro undertaking the project, constituting the International Commission for the Piercing of the Isthmus of the Suez. Encouraged by the engineers' approval, Ferdinand no longer allowed anything to stop him in his goal to pursue the construction of the Suez Canal. There, despite the many criticisms that came at him, especially from the British, particularly Lord Palmerston, who considered the project a disturbance to the commercial position of Great Britain, note that Great Britain, having control over the Cape of Good Hope through South Africa at the time, controlled one of the most important trade routes between Western Europe and Eastern Asia. So this creation of a canal, owned by the French especially, who were rivals of the British, was for the British geopolitically dangerous and also economically dangerous. But despite these objections, Ferdinand de Lesseps continued onwards. Lesseps' submarine was not deterred by opinions involving the engineering itself. In France, numerous people thought that the sea in front of the in front of Port Side, the city at which the canal would emerge, was full of mud which would ultimately obstruct the entrance to the canal and that the sands from the desert wouldn't have to fill the trenches, causing unnecessary costs and proving an engineering difficulty. But despite that, he continued on anyway. Lesseps succeeded in rousing the patriotism of the French in this project and obtained by their subscriptions more than half of the capital of 200 million francs, which he needed in order to form a company for the Suez Canal. But he was unfortunately not able to attract any substantial capital contribution from the public in England or other foreign countries. The Egyptian government then subscribed for 80 million francs worth of the shares. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. For all of you tuning in, just welcome back to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. We just got done talking about the early onset of the Suez Canal, its planning, its financing, and now we're going to jump into the formation of the canal and its construction. The Compagnie de Université du Canal Maritime de Suez was organized on the, at the end of 1858. 
On the 25th of April, 1559, the first blow of the pickaxe was given by Ferdinand at Portside. And during the following 10 years, Lesseps had to overcome continued opposition of the British government, who lobbied to prevent the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, who still nominally ruled over Egypt, from approving the construction of the canal. And at one stage, he even had to seek the support of his cousin, Empress Eugene, to persuade the Emperor Napoleon III to act as an arbitrator in these disputes. Finally, on the 17th of November, 1869, the canal was officially opened by the Khedive Ismail Pasha. After the canal was made, Lesseps, for the most part, kind of took more so to his private life running mainly the Suez Canal Company, which he had now created. There were some points and some incidents in which the British would eventually, you know, cause some issue as a result of the canal being there, and eventually they would find their way onto its board of directors, creating a sort of balance between British, Ottoman, French, and Egyptian interests in the Suez Canal that lasted up until it was nationalized by Nasser in the 1950s. However, we're now going to jump into one of the less-known works of Lesseps, which was the attempted Panama Canal that he tried to make far before the, you know, far before our president, Teddy Roosevelt, decided to make the canal. In May of 1879, a Congress of 136 delegates assembled in the room of the Society of Geography in Paris under the presidency of Admiral de la Nocière Le Leroy and voted in favor of the creation of a Panama Canal, which was to be without locks like the Suez Canal, that's a notable difference because the modern-day Panama Canal is based entirely upon locks. Ferdinand Lesseps, given his experience, was appointed president of the Panama Canal Company, despite the fact that he had actually, at the time was at the age of 74 and kind of wanted to retire and get out of the business. It was on this occasion that Gambetta would bestow upon him the title of Le Grand Francois. However, the decision to dig a Panama Canal at sea level to avoid use of locks and the inability of contemporary medical science to deal with the epidemics of malaria and yellow fever that would break out eventually ended up dooming the project. But until that happened, Ferdinand Lesseps knew none the wiser and continued on. In February of 1880, Lesseps arrived in New York City to raise money for the project, meeting with the American Society of Civil Engineers, the Geographic Society, meeting with President Rutherford B. Hayes, and testifying to the House Interoceanic Canal Committee, later going on to Boston, Chicago, and several other American cities to raise interest and capital for such a project. In June of 1880, Ferdinand went to Liverpool, where he was able to find support from a Captain Peacock, who felt the canal project was worth supporting as it would provide routes to save time across from from the Atlantic to the Pacific. To go, at this time anyway, to get around that, you'd have to go all the way around the Straits of Magellan down in South America off the coast of Chile. Later in 1880, he went with his youngest child to Panama to see the planned pathway, where he estimated in 1880 that the project would take 658 million francs and at least eight years to complete. After two years of surveys, work on the canal officially began in 1882. However, the technical difficulties of operating in the wet tropics dogged down the project. Particularly, disasters were frequently recurring landslides into the excavations from bordering water-saturated hills and the various death tolls from malaria and yellow fever on the workforce, as I mentioned earlier. In the end, insufficient financial capital, financial corruption from those within the project and the governments themselves, and the widespread death of the various workers and the various engineering complications led the Panama Canal Company to declare itself bankrupt in December of 1888 and entering liquidation in February of 1889. 
The failure of this project as a whole is often referred to as the Panama Canal scandal, especially after rumors circulated that French politicians and journalists had received various bribes to support the project. By 1892, it emerged that 150 French deputies had been bribed into voting for allocation of financial aid to the Panama Canal Company. And in February of 1893, Ferdinand Lesseps and his son Charles and a number of others faced trial and were found guilty for corruption. Ferdinand was ordered to pay a fine and serve a prison sentence, but the latter was overturned by the Court of Cassation on the grounds that it had been more than three years since the crime was committed. Ultimately, in 1904, the United States would buy out the assets of the company and continue to resume work under a revised plan, creating the Panama Canal as we know it today. After all of the scandal, still, in the 11th of June, 1884, he was still shown to be a prominent figure as he would be part of the French banquet that gave over the Statue of Liberty from the French to the United States. Ferdinand Lesseps at the time was head of the Franco-American Union, formally presenting the statue. In 1886, Ferdinand would travel to the United States to speak at the dedication ceremony for the statue, meeting Gro President Grover Cleveland. However, Ferdinand Lesseps would die on the 7th of December, 1894, at the age of 89. Ferdinand de Lesseps is probably, I guess in a way, one of the most, one of the least known figures of history to an extent, right? We always talk about the Suez Canal, but I don't think more often than not, the man who built the Suez Canal really comes up. And at the same time, you don't really hear about uh, Ferdinand de Lesseps being, in a, in a way, responsible for allowing the foundations to be laid down for Teddy Roosevelt to come in and start building the canal when America came in and liberated Panama. So if you really think about it, you could really owe much of the modern day world's trading networks to the ideas, innovations, and construction projects of Ferdinand de Lesseps. So the next time you order a Lego set from somewhere, next time you order clothing from China, just think about the canals they passed through and maybe give a little thanks to Ferdinand de Lesseps for enabling the modern trade system as it was. Thank you, everyone, for joining us to an for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Join us next week as we discover another historical figure from our past. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.